Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Adi Bolaños in San Francisco. Nearly 1.5 million California tenants are at risk of eviction. KQED's Aaron Baldessari reports that's prompting the Attorney General's office to issue new guidance aimed at keeping renters in their homes. One in seven California tenants are behind on their rent. California's families are facing a housing affordability crisis at levels never seen before. Attorney General Rob Bonta says that's leading frustrated landlords to take matters into their own hands. The Department of Justice has fielded a significant number of reports from tenants facing illegal evictions. They include landlords without a court order changing the locks, shutting off water or electricity, and removing tenants' personal property in order to force a tenant out of their home. In response, his office is issuing instructions to sheriff and police departments across the state on how to respond when someone reports an illegal eviction. The guidance directs officers to inform landlords that evicting a tenant without a court order is a misdemeanor. Officers also should not ask the tenant to leave their homes. But it's not clear how local police and sheriffs will respond to the guidance. The California Commission on Peace Officer Standards and Training says it doesn't provide training on illegal eviction cases. And it's up to the individual agencies to decide how to respond. For the California Report, I'm Erin Baldessari. The Washburn Fire in Yosemite National Park has grown to 3,200 acres. Around 1,600 people in the community of Wawona have been evacuated. And as KVPR's Carrie Klein reports, that includes kids from a summer camp. Adventure Risk Challenge combines outdoor education with leadership and writing skills for high schoolers from rural Fresno and Merced counties. Co-director Sarah Otley says 10 students and staff were in the middle of a month-long expedition when the evacuation orders came in. They had just finished their first expedition. They had backpacked for eight days on the north rim of Yosemite Valley, and they were at our base camp at Wawona Elementary School. Otley says another program was evacuated in 2018 from the Ferguson fire and noxious smoke has derailed other programs. We are constantly adapting to wildfire and smoke now. The good news? The students don't have to go home just yet. They'll finish backpacking, rock climbing and poetry writing in the Ansel Adams wilderness. For the California Report, I'm Carrie Klein in Fresno. Childcare jobs that were cut at the start of the pandemic are steadily returning in California. That's according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. KQED reporter Daisy Wynn has more on that. Overall, 91% of jobs at daycare centers in California have come back. That might sound good, but it lags behind the rest of the U.S. economy. Anna Powell a researcher at UC Berkeley's Center for the Study of Childcare Employment, says lack of childcare doesn't just affect kids. It also means that their working parents, typically working moms, who are often women of color and immigrant women, are also missing out on that much-needed stability so that they can keep going to work, keep up with the rising cost of inflation, and help put food on the table for their family. 
One encouraging sign: the state appears to be struggling less than others to recruit and retain childcare workers. For the California Report, I'm Daisy Wen. And while a growing number of states are implementing abortion restrictions, here in California, public universities are set to not only protect abortion access but expand it. KCRW's Danielle Cheriguayo has the details. Starting January 1st, the University of California and Cal State school systems will offer all students medication abortions through their student health centers. Thanks to a law that passed in 2019, the new policy will connect more than 6,200 students statewide with those services. And for some, including those in the UC system, student insurance plans will cover all associated costs. But as the U.S. Supreme Court strikes down the federal right to an abortion, offering medication abortions on college campuses might have a secondary effect. It could free up California clinics, making room for out-of-state patients seeking the procedure. According to the UCLA Center on Reproductive Health, the Golden State could receive up to 16,000 new patients seeking abortions a year. The university's offering of medication abortions would also help out Californians who live in areas where abortion services are not readily available. An estimated 40% of counties in the state do not have abortion providers, meaning residents in those areas often have to travel great distances in order to access them. For the California Report, I'm Danielle Chiriguayo in Los Angeles. Lyft, the ride-sharing giant, has already spent millions in support of a clean air initiative that would tax high-income earners to pay for electric car rebates and charging stations. KQED climate editor Kevin Stark tells us more about Proposition 30. Big money donors supporting the measure include San Francisco venture capitalist Ron Conway and former presidential candidate Tom Steyer. But Lyft has contributed by far the most, more than seven million dollars. Last year, California approved a mandate for ride-hailing companies: 90% of their miles logged must be with electric cars by 2030. The company says it supports that goal, but has called it unrealistic without government subsidies. In an emailed statement, Lyft said we must do more to help people afford zero-emission vehicles. The California Chamber of Commerce opposes Prop 30, arguing state taxes are too high with inflation soaring. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice: fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis from KQED Podcasts. Comes on our watch, season two, New Folsom, a story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair, available wherever you get your podcasts. And in recent years, a good number of statues and monuments have been removed from California's public venues. Yesterday, in Palm Springs, another statue was added to the list. The California Report's Saul Gonzalez has that story. The statue, which was placed in front of Palm Springs City Hall, depicted Frank 
Bogert on horseback. A former actor and rodeo announcer, Bogert was mayor of Palm Springs in the 1950s and 60s and oversaw much of the desert city's growth. Activists fought for the removal of Bogert's statue because of his role in authorizing the eviction of poor Native American, Black, and Latino families from an area of the city called Section 14 in the 1960s. The family's homes, more than 200 in all, were then destroyed to make room for new development. Lisa Middleton is the mayor of Palm Springs. She says removing the statue of Bogert is one way for the city to confront and make amends for a painful and racist chapter in its history. City of Palm Springs staff drove bulldozers that took down people's homes. We cannot erase our role in what happened. But some Palm Springs residents, like Carla Harrower, fought against the removal of Bogert's statue, saying the former mayor was important to the city's desert outpost past. I think it's a beautiful statue. It's a work of art. And it represents a man who was a World War II vet, a family man a cowboy, it deserves to stand. Now that it has been removed, the Bogart statue is in temporary storage at a Palm Springs maintenance facility. Supporters of Bogart, who died in 2009, would like to see it relocated to another public venue. Meanwhile, last year, the city of Palm Springs formally apologized for its role in the destruction of people's homes 50 years ago and the eviction of residents. Some, though, would like to see the city do more, like offering financial compensation. For the California Report, I'm Saul Gonzalez. This week, an endangered Chinook salmon species is getting help thanks to federal and state agencies and a small native California tribe. This comes 80 years after construction of the Shasta Dam flooded out the area's indigenous people and blocked their salmon from swimming upstream. KALW's Judy Silber has the story. Chief Kalin Sisk says she and her people, the Winnemumwintu, are following a prayer to bring salmon back to their homelands on a river above Shasta Dam. Overall, there was a prayer that came down from Mount Shasta, Puyuk, about the Landara Nur, which means the old-time salmon. And the old-time salmon want to come back to their rivers. They want to be upstream. They want to uh, do the things they're supposed to be doing. Chief Sisk has fought hard to have her voice heard. But the Winnemumwintu are not officially recognized by the federal government. And so, for years, she wasn't allowed on official salmon committees. Meanwhile, the situation grew worse for Chinook salmon, especially a species known as the winter run. Blocked by Shasta Dam, it's forced to spawn in waters that can be quite warm, especially during drought. So, I can't emphasize enough, though, how precarious the situation for winter run Chinook is. This is Jonathan Ambrose, a biologist with the National Marine Fisheries Service. He says it's imperative to return winter run to colder waters above Shasta Dam. Ambrose crouches on a small gravel bed off the McLeod River. The McLeod is one of four main tributaries that feed into Shasta Dam. When I see gravel like this and how clean it is, it just it really makes me excited and happy thinking about Winter Run Chinook back in this watershed. This is the homelands of the Winnemumwintu. They fished this river until Shasta Dam flooded they and the salmon off of the land. It's cold, fed by glacial waters, and relatively unscathed. 
Ambrose explains it escaped the gold mining frenzy of the 1850s. So because there was no gold, the river wasn't destroyed like we see in the Sierras with the hydraulic mining. When I first saw this river, I thought, how can this not work? Let's just get the fish up here and see what happens. Planning for a pilot project began in 2010. The idea was to place winter-run eggs from a conservation hatchery into the McLeod. Once the eggs hatched, juvenile fish would be caught and trucked below the dam. They'd swim out to the ocean. Upon their return a few years later, either they or their eggs would be trucked the other way around. The agency had intended to plant the first eggs in 2023, but then successive years of drought threatened to push the winter run to extinction, says Kathy Mersenkevich, also with the Fisheries Service. Kind of early on in the season, but it was the driest January, February, March we had had on record. We were going into March. We didn't know what April would bring. The project was accelerated. And to the Winnemum Wintu's surprise, they were asked to be co-managers. This past Monday, a truck carrying a small orange cooler with 20,000 winter-run eggs bumped down a steep road to a remote campground on the McLeod River. It's owned by the Forest Service now, but was once the site of a Winnemum Wintu village. It's where Chief Sisk's great-grandmother was born. Two young women from the tribe lift the cooler and carry it around a sacred fire. And the intent was to have the sacred bless those eggs. Chief Sisk and the children of the tribe walk a steep path down to the river. With small cups, the children carefully deposit eggs into a large blue barrel. The barrel is an incubator fed by cool McLeod water. Here, the eggs will mature until juvenile salmon hatch and swim out into the river. The transfer marks a special moment. You see these little people in regalia? They're five years old. They have a long way to go with these salmon. And it's going to continue, so you, you need to deal with us. The Winnemumwintu are holding a ceremony on this village site for the first time in 80 years. Young Winnemum are seeing salmon eggs with their own eyes. Chief Sisk says if the salmon can come back, maybe the tribe can bounce back as well. For the California Report, I'm Judy Silber. This story is part of a project from KALW called The Spiritual Edge. For more information, go to thespiritualedge.org. And that's the California Report for Thursday, July 14th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system. On the web at chcf.org slash health dash equity. Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. Personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. 
Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with Instant Pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.